welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 12th of March 2017, entitled, Jesus Speaks from the Cross, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from John, Chapter 19, Verses 14 to 30. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. All right, if you'd like to open your Bibles this evening for our Scripture reading to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, Chapter chapter 19. All right, I invite you to stand this evening as we honor the reading of God's holy word. Taken from John chapter 19, we'll begin reading in verse 14. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. He bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one and Jesus in the midst. Pilate wrote a title, put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not, the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, The Lord parted my raiment among them, for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was yet, there was set a vessel full of vinegar, they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Father, we thank you again this evening, Lord, that we can be gathered together in your house. We thank you for your word that's before us, for your spirit that's within us. We thank you, Lord, that though that... As many times as we read the account that we've just read from Scripture this evening, Lord, it's hard for us to truly imagine 
all that was taking place there that day. But Lord, let us thank you again that you loved us enough that you allowed Jesus Christ to go to that cross and to die in our stead. We pray that as we look at this passage and others this evening, we pray that you'd help us, Father, just to grasp, have a better understanding, more vivid understanding in our minds of what took place there on the cross at Calvary. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll find as we look through the Scripture, they're not all recorded here in the book of John, but as we look throughout the Scriptures, there were seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. Now, it's often said, and there's a lot of truth to it, that often when someone is facing severe pain, that that's when we see a person's true colors. That's when it brings out so many times the worst in a person. It's also true that when death is imminent and we know that death is before us, there's nothing left to hide. <laughs> there really isn't. We've all heard the saying, the words of a dying man as if they somehow hold more truth because what point is there at that point? Not to be totally honest. Of course, we know that when Jesus was dying on the cross, we know that from the kind of death that he was dying, the crucifixion on the cross was designed by the Romans to on the one hand be so totally humiliating to the person that was hanging there. And it was designed uh, as something of torture to make them die slowly that they might experience the pain and the agony as they left this world. It was a cruel way to die, the most cruel that they could come up with. And that's what they used for our Lord Jesus Christ. As he hung there on the cross, we must be reminded that the most important event in all of history was unfolding before their eyes there that day. An event that literally even now splits all of time. We realize that even on our calendars today, we measure the date, the years, by the years before that event and the years after that event. As a matter of fact, I don't care how short or how long a time that you've been a Christian, that you've been part of the Christian faith. Folks, the whole of our Christian faith is based upon those three days in history when Jesus Christ, first of all, died upon that cross, shed his blood for our sins, he was buried in that tomb, and again, three days later, he rose from the dead. If you take those events out of Scripture, nothing else matters. We have no hope. Our Christian faith is based upon this event. 
We're quickly approaching on our calendar now that event that has been celebrated for many years as Easter, celebrating the risen Lord. We worship together today on Sunday, not as the Sabbath prior to this event, but on Sunday, the Lord's Day, when Jesus appeared to them again because of what that event truly meant. We could not and would not even attempt to place more importance upon any word in God's word above the other. It's all God's word. It's all inspired, breathed by God. It's all given to us for a reason. But I trust and pray that as we look at these words that Jesus spoke from the cross, I hope that it will just give us an even greater insight, a closer affinity, a greater love for all that Jesus was doing for us there that day. You see, these words are of such great importance, of such great significance, because these are the words, the last words that he spoke before he was to give up that that human body to be put in that grave. And we find that as we look at him on the cross and the words that he spoke, that it just magnifies and amplifies everything that he was and all that he came to do in his years here upon this earth. You see, we spoke this morning concerning us as a church, which is the body of Christ. It is what Jesus Christ is using today to accomplish his work here upon this earth. And of course, as we considered the church, the body of Christ, one of the things that we saw that makes a church great is that when they, like the Lord Jesus Christ, put others first above themselves, Jesus Christ always It was always others. It was always you and me. It was always the lost sinner that needed to be saved that came first with him. You see, if you turn back in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, and look with me there in Luke chapter 23, we find the very first statement that Jesus uttered from the cross. And you'll find as we look here that the first three statements that he uttered, all of them related to others, not himself. Even as he hung there in the greatest of agony and all the pain and all the humiliation, the words he spoke were words that spoke of others. In Luke chapter 23, notice what he says in verse 33 and 34. It says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, There they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. This is the events we just read. Notice in verse 34, the first words that Jesus speaks from the cross. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as he spoke those words, 
Those guards that we just read about were casting the lots before him, gambling to see who would be able to take his garments. You see, when Jesus hung there, even though, Father, forgive them for it, they know not what they do. The true colors, I mean, when, when somebody is trying to humiliate you in the worst possible way, when they have beaten you, when they have scourged you, when they have, have hung you there to die in agony, and the first words that you speak is, Father, forgive them. Well, they know not what they do. The Apostle Paul wrote later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and in verse 3 and 4, he says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. These that were before him, they were not accepting him for who he was. Jesus knew their blindness. Jesus knew our blindness right down through the centuries. He knew the blindness of those that were there with all they were doing that day, that it was the God of this world that was blinding them. They didn't have any earthly idea that it was God himself that they were putting to death on that cross, that they were putting to death the very one that had given them life in the first place. They didn't know. And you know, as we look down through the centuries, many, many people, I wonder if I ask you this evening, did you know always that the things that you did, did you know that you were a sinner? Did you know that you were sinning against your Creator? Of course not. We try to teach our children at a young age so that they do know. We, we try to bring them to church as, as Christian parents so that they can hear and know the truth of God's Word, that their eyes might be opened to God's truth. We don't want the God of this world to blind them, but we can all look back and see a time when we were blinded. I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised to, to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet in those early years until I was 11 years old, 12 years old, I did not see myself as a sinner. I knew that we were a Christian family. I knew that we went to church. I knew all these things. But there was one night there when my eyes were opened. You see, when Jesus hung up on the cross, he knew that they were ignorant. But have you ever have you ever had somebody ask you, well, you know, how can somebody be accountable for something if they don't know it? You know, even, even in, in our country, in the laws of the land that we live in, ignorance of the law is no excuse. We're expected to know the law, to know right from wrong. We are accountable to it regardless. In Acts chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, 
again. This is Peter's second sermon. As he's preaching to those that hung upon the cross, <laughs> And he says in verse 14, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. It doesn't affect our accountability because that we say that we don't know because that we're blind. You see, even as believers, if you're here and you are a child of God today, we're accountable for our blindness. You see, sometimes our blindness is in a different way. Sometimes we're blind to what God wants to do or what God is doing many times simply because of a, of a lack of faith, because we don't trust him enough because we're trying to do it ourselves. We're blinded to what God really wants to do and what he can do. We limit him because of our limitations, because of the limitations of our, our mind. We want him so many times. We want him to do these things, but we don't really believe that he will. We know that it's what we're supposed to say but we don't live and act as if we believe it. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, Peter's writing to the Christians. He said, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. <laughs> you see, the Bible teaches us that if the gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost because their eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. But he also teaches us as, as believers that we can be blind because that we have a lack of faith. We sometimes forget the very things that we know that we've been taught. Peter knew well from his own experiences. The Lord had made it very clear to him that even though he was saved, he was still accountable. You see, some people want their salvation just to be a, a free ticket to live however they want to, to do whatever they want to because they're going to heaven one day. Well, true salvation is for eternity. But I can promise you this, that even as believers, we are accountable. In Matthew chapter 16, notice what it says beginning in verse 21. Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes be killed and be raised again the third day. Jesus was showing them, was telling them, trying to teach them of what was going to happen. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee no way. 
Lord, we're not having this. Jesus was telling him this is what's going to be. And Peter's saying, no way. <laughs> no way is that going to be. No way is that going to happen. But he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, how would you like it if he said this to you? Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter, out of the great desire of not wanting Jesus to suffer, says, Lord, no way are these things going to happen. But you see, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he was blinded to what God was doing there. And we know that Peter himself wasn't Satan. But we know that when Jesus spoke these words, get thee behind me, Satan. Satan was trying to use Peter there that day. Satan will use anybody that he can. Satan will sometimes use those that are the closest to you, and they don't even realize that they're being used. <laughs> then said Jesus unto his disciples, Any man will come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. Follow me. Well, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You see, Peter knew. Peter had been with the Lord. He had walked with the Lord. And yet we find that Peter was blinded to what God was doing. He tried to rebuke Jesus, but in the end, Jesus rebuked him. And he showed him that in this life, it may cost something to follow him. You see, even great Christians can be blinded. Even Peter, who swore and declared to the Lord, <laughs> Oh, Lord, I know, I know these other guys may let you down. I know that, that, that they may. They may not stand with you. They may deny you, but, Lord, I would never do that. There's no way in the world that I would do that. Jesus had to look at him and say, Peter, before the cock crows, before the cock crows, before the sunrise, before the next day begins, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And we could turn and we could look at those passages, but you're familiar with them. You know, Peter was there while they were treating our Lord the most horrible ways there in the judgment hall. There were those that saw him and said, oh, you're one of those followers, aren't you? No, no way, not me. He moved on down a little bit further. 
Somebody else thought they recognized. You're one of those followers of Jesus, aren't you? No. I'm not part of that crowd. No way. He moves on down to get away from them a third time. He's getting more vehement all the time. The Bible says he's cursing and swearing. No, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. And as he denied him that third time, Jesus didn't have to say a word to him. He just looked up, looked straight at Peter. The tears began to flow. Peter knew what he had done. Peter knew what he had done. But all, even though that he had failed God miserably, as a Christian, he had been blinded. He didn't know what he was doing. But God forgave him. And on the day of Pentecost, we've read part of his sermon. On the day of Pentecost, he stood there and proclaimed the truth of that resurrection. As Jesus Christ hung on that cross, the very first of his dying words were for the forgiveness of sinners. When he is at the point that any of us, boy, if we were going to break, if, if he was anything besides what he said, that was the point to break. And yet, rather than even looking at his own pain and agony, and this is the God of creation, just being treated lower than most humans can ever even imagine. And yet, his heart was for the forgiveness of sinners. What worse enemies could you have than those that were humiliating you and taking your life like they were doing from him? But you see, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 tells us this. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The reason Jesus came was that sinners could be forgiven. The reason Jesus came was to seek and to save the lost. That was his purpose. That's why he was trying to say to Peter there, Peter, don't be so blind. This is God's plan. This is the way it has to be. This is the way that the Scriptures will be fulfilled. In Matthew chapter 20 and in verse 27, again back in verse 20 to get the context, it says, Then came to him the mother of of Zebedee's children and her sons worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? What, what is it that you want? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. How about giving my sons the place of honor, the two closest places to you? But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? 
and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, We are able. He says unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. When the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. They were seeking a place of honor in the kingdom that was being prepared. They were seeking that place of honor. But you see, Jesus here is just what is being exercised on the cross. He's saying, look, you don't understand what you're asking. You know, the way to be the greatest is to minister to others. The one that wants to be the chiefest among you, let him be the greatest servant among you. Even as the Son of Man, even as Jesus Christ came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, there's only one reason that God came to this earth in the flesh, and that was for this event that we're reading about here. He came that the lost could be saved. He came that our sins could be forgiven. That was the purpose of his coming. That was the purpose of his life. That was the purpose of his death. As he hung there and his worst enemies standing before him, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. That's why I'm hanging here. That's what I came for. This has been your plan all along. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, the very first words that Jesus spoke from the cross, they related to forgiveness. They related to forgiveness for the lost, for the sinner. They related to the greatest need that every sinner that has ever lived has had, forgiveness. Father, forgive them. Look with me, if you would, at the second phrase of the others in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. In Luke, chapter 23, pick up with me in verse 39. He says, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself in us. 
But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You see, his first statement, his first statement was relating to the forgiveness of others. His second statement was relating to the future. Yes, he came that our sins could be forgiven. But he came that our sins could be forgiven so that we could be with him for eternity, that we could live with him for eternity. And as he prayed for forgiveness for those around him, the next words out of his mouth was when he was granting that forgiveness to the thief on the cross beside him, they recognized him for who he was. They cried out to Jesus for who he was. You see, earlier on that day, that same thief had been railing on Jesus. They were both railing on him to start with back in Matthew 27, 44. We're not given all the details, but something had changed. You got two lost people hanging there and neither one of them made the statement in one of the other sermons recently. <laughs> they both saw the same Jesus. They both saw the same thing. They both heard the same thing. They knew who he was supposed to be. Even part of the rating was, oh, you know, if you're who you're supposed to be, why don't you save yourself and bring us down off of here at the same time with you? Something had changed. Two people seeing and hearing the same thing, both of them with Jesus being presented before their very eyes. One repents. One changes his mind, which in turn changes his actions. And we find in this passage before us, calls out to the Lord Jesus. You see, his honest confession of his sins, that's the first step of everybody. The first step in anybody's conversion is the sinner taking his proper place before God as a sinner. He admitted that he was a sinner. He admitted that what he had done, he deserved his death. The confession and the declaration of, of Jesus Christ and who he was, and that's his only hope is in this one that was hanging there. Lord, I am a sinner. Lord, would you remember me? kingdom? Would you remember this old sinner? You know, so many times we get hung up on the words when it's not the words, but the heart. For with the heart, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, his confession was not only that his soul would exist after death, but that he would be with Jesus. 
Jesus' immediate reply. I'm not really sure what was supposed to happen here to purgatory and soul sleep and all those things that people get between this life and the death, but Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today. There's no in-between. There's no going where else. When you leave this cross, you're going to be with me today. That place called paradise. And, of course, we know that he went to paradise with Jesus. But we know that same day that Jesus also set all those captives free. He led them out of that place called paradise, Abraham's bosom, and into glory because then the price had finally been paid. You see, we can see some things about salvation here. We can see the extent of God's grace. There's no mention of this man's capital crime, what he had done, no mention of just a short time before that he had been denying Jesus for who he was. When he called out to Jesus, Jesus forgave him. God's grace was immediate. For by grace are you saved? Through faith. Faith alone saves. Hey, there was no possibility to do even one good work. <laughs> there wasn't the possibility to follow the Lord in, in, in baptism. He believed that Jesus was not only dying, but that when he was buried, <laughs> he was going to rise again. <laughs> That's why he wanted to be with him. Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. <laughs> Repentance. Repentance reaps mercy. Salvation comes from the heart. That's why you know that even though that some of the tracks we use and it's got the little prayer on there to give people God, I, I'm really nervous about telling people, pray these words and God will save you. It's not in the words. It's what happens in the heart. If it was in the words, I'd be in a terrible, terrible fix today because I don't remember the words that I prayed when I asked God to save me. I don't remember the words that I prayed when I asked God to forgive me when I'd failed him and went astray. But I'll tell you what, I can never forget my heart. <laughs> I can never forget within me how ashamed I was of my sinfulness. I'll never forget how that I knew with everything in me I didn't deserve anything from God. And I believed with all my heart that if I had any hope at all, <laughs> it was in what Jesus had done for me because, man, I'd messed up bad. Folks, there on that cross that day, we learned some things. Salvation comes from the heart. It's not in the words. It's not even that we pray a prayer. If that doesn't come from the heart, it means nothing. His salvation wasn't wrought by the words that he prayed that day. It was what came from his heart when he recognized Jesus for who he was, and he turned to him. And we know that he sought that forgiveness from him. Jesus' first words from the cross were centered upon forgiveness. His second, upon our future with him when he has forgiven us. 
You see, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And there that day, you know, it's hard for us sometimes. It's hard on the one hand to take such joy in the event. There's no greater symbol of our Christian faith than the cross. Not a crucifix with Jesus still on it, but an old, rugged, empty cross. Because <laughs> Jesus is sitting on the cross now. He's not dead now. He's risen, hallelujah. But as he hung there on that cross, when you look at all that he said and all that he preached and all that he did in his years here upon this earth, and when he's in his worst, lowest moment, he's there with his enemies around him, spitting on him, mocking him, making fun of him, putting him to this torturous death. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then one of the very people that had been mocking him and making fun of him, he turns and he recognizes who he is. Jesus had prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Lord, don't write them off because of this. I came to save them. That's why I'm here. When the thief cries out to him after that prayer, Jesus said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I want you to realize this evening, we'll look at some of the other sayings of Jesus over the next week or two. I don't want to leave you with those simple thoughts. Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his whole purpose. Can I ask you something honestly, and I don't say this to be mean. If you're calling yourself a Christian, you're calling yourself to be like Christ. What is your purpose in living? Is it for you? And what's comfortable for you? And what makes you happy? And what you want out of life? Or is it as Christ that you're claiming to be like? That even those that treat you the worst, the ones that are your worst enemies, the ones that put you down, that hurt you, that your desire, your heart for them is that they might be forgiven? Your desire for others or for yourself? As we think of his first two statements from the cross, you see, I've had people come to me before, and I don't, I don't now know how to put it any more simple than this because we all struggle with the flesh. Some people are easy to love and and some, it's, 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 it's a hard job. Some people, it just comes natural. But what about those? I want you to think right now. The worst person you know on the face of this earth, the one that's treated you the worst, nobody else on this planet has ever treated you as bad as they did. The person that maybe... If you had to make a list, they would be at the top of the list as your least favorite and possibly your worst enemy. Do you know something? 
the one that you claim to be like, he came to die for them. (laughs) And even when they were doing to him on the cross worse than they have ever done to you, I promise you, he said, Father, forgive them. (laughs) They know not what they do. And when one of those that was riling him that did it called on him for that, today you'll be with me in paradise. You see, how do you love somebody? How do you have compassion for somebody? How can you have the heart for your worst enemy as Jesus did? May I remind you that every one of us in the flesh, we are vile. I don't care what that person's done to you or what they have. Nobody deserves, nobody deserves to be treated in such a way that they're so bad that there's no hope when Jesus came to give hope to the hopeless. None of us deserve salvation. You may think that person doesn't deserve your forgiveness. You've never done anything to hurt them and all this. Remember, folks, all they need is Jesus. They would be a different person. The only reason that they are that way is because they either don't have enough of Jesus or Jesus doesn't have enough of them. They're either lost and on their way to hell or if they're a Christian, he doesn't have control of their lives. To have the compassion that Jesus had, remember this, there's only one enemy. It was the God of this world that was blinding them. It was Satan through Peter that was doubting Jesus and what he was doing. The devil's your enemy. When you see that person, try thinking in your mind and heart, boy, they need Jesus so bad. What can I do? What can I do? that they could maybe get a glimpse of Jesus through me because they wouldn't be treating me this way or speaking this way without it. Jesus' whole purpose in coming was to seek and to save you and your worst enemy. What's your life? Are you going to call yourself a Christian to be like him? Let us learn. It wasn't just words with him. He said, If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross follow me. We find that I want to remind you, first of all, this evening of just how much Jesus loved you, what he really went through for you. And as we look at these words, I want to remind you of who Jesus was and what he was all about, that your only hope The only reason you're not, if you're not, the worst person on the face of the earth is because you got Jesus in your heart. Because of his grace. Because of his mercy. And that's what the worst person needs. They need Jesus. Father, it's hard to even stop on a subject that is so vital and so important to us. Lord, the event that all of our Christian faith hinges on and yet Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn from this, that even as you hung there on that cross, Lord, in your lowest moment, 
facing death and knowing it. But your thoughts were of others first, not yourself. It wasn't of the pain that you were facing or the humiliation. It was of others, their forgiveness, what you came for, what you lived for, what you died for. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you, Lord, that just as you then spoke those words to that thief hanging beside you, verily, verily, I say unto you, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Lord, your grace is immediate. I pray that you'd help us to be reminded, Lord, of the day that you saved us and forgave us. And I pray again, Lord, even for the one here this evening that maybe doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, would you please take and remind them of what Jesus went through for them? I don't care what their past is. I don't care what they've done, just as that thief on the cross. Lord, you pray for forgiveness for your worst enemies. You offered that forgiveness there on the cross. Lord, if there's one here this evening because, Lord, if they're not for you, they're against you. And Lord, we know that here this evening that if there's anybody that has never called upon you as that thief on the cross, Lord, they can do so this evening because you're still here for them. We're still here. But you might work through us. So I pray, Lord, save that one that might be here that's lost. Lord, for your children, we know, Lord, that we've been looking at in our, in our Sunday morning Bible studies about modeling ourselves, fashioning ourselves after you. Lord, I pray that you'd also at the same time that you remind us of how much you loved us and what you did there, that that love is for everyone. Help us truly, Lord, to recognize that when not only that we have you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, that we need you to control our lives, to help us love the unlovable, to help us have grace towards those that don't deserve it, to help us have that same kind of mercy. Help us truly, Lord, in our day-to-day -day lives. Help us to be what we claim to be, to be like you. And, Lord, we will give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory for it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.